It's okay to change. It's okay to adapt. It's okay to evolve and to innovate and do things differently than maybe we have in the past. And in a sense, it almost gives us that permission that we need to just take that leap forward and do something that we've never done before. And that sounds crazy, but sometimes that permission is most needed among those extension professionals who have been in the organization for decades. Hi, and welcome to the Working Differently in Extension podcast. I'm Bob Birch. We're continuing our series focusing on the new book, We've Tried That Before, 500 Years of Extension Wisdom. We just heard the voice of one of the book's co-authors, Danae Wolf, and we're going to hear more from Danae later, but we're going to start with co-author Michelle Rogers. Michelle is the Associate Dean and Director of Cooperative Extension and Outreach at the University of Delaware, and she wrote the section, Be Flexible adjust to change. The issue of change, I think is probably one thing that has really resonated with me throughout my extension career. I have 30 plus years, 35 plus years in cooperative extension. And I really feel that the essential part is that we must be changed. We talk about historically being change agents, uh, but um, some reluctance as an organization on our own to change, despite considering ourselves change agents. And I think the ability to flex uh, and change with the times and the needs is what's essential for us to continue um, and maintain uh, us as an organization. It's one of the core uh, components of um, maintaining cooperative extension into the the next century and as we move beyond that. Um, And and I think it's an attribute that we need to um, see in a positive thing. Change is often seen as negative and trying to put this in a positive light and uh, see it as just a part of how we do our work um, was important to me and it's part of the conversation I have with folks in this organization as well as hoping that um, while um, at this point in my career and I say I'm long in the tooth in my career at this point uh, and uh, remembering what I felt like as a newbie in an organization about these people who've been in here forever and in cooperative extension wanting to be a person that I remember wanting leaders to be when I was new in extension, wanting to be willing to change and flex and um, be accepting of innovation uh, and and trying to live that out at this point in my career uh, and to value that. So it's both personal and professional in terms of my my look at change. You use a really uh, colorful metaphor, I think, for change and talking about uh, sailing as an analog for change. Can you share that metaphor with us and and why you think it fits so well? Yeah. Well, I use, actually, I use the sailing metaphor as my leadership motif uh, for myself and my um, various leadership programs I've been in. I've talked about how sailing is like my lessons learned in leadership, but it really applies then as well to this idea of change. And that um, I have a saying that uh, when the winds of change blow, adjust your sails. Um, otherwise, you're not going to get where you want to go. Uh, and uh, I uh, think that's that's certainly true in sailing. <laughs> you end up dead in the water uh, if you don't do that. And uh, sailing is something I personally enjoy. But I think it also relates well to how uh, we think about leading and how we think about doing. And that there are times when the winds change. 
um, when um, new opportunities come and um, we can go head on into that win, but we have to adjust the sales to get the efficiency and effectiveness out of that, but also to have um, a fun and meaningful uh, sailing ride. The same thing with the extension career is that um, we need to be, sometimes it's minor adjustments. Uh, the telltale uh, flags on the sail um, may be flying and flapping, but do we get those adjusted so we're really getting the most out of that? Um, and uh, also, uh, you know, most of them, the most exhilarating, uh, exhilarating sailing is when you're flying the hall, when you really are in, into the, the toughest wind and uh, head on and um, are really able to, um, to sail uh, is when you have adjusted those sails to really be head on into uh, the challenges in the wind ahead. So um, I think it relates to this idea of change and that uh, when the change happens with the winds and you adjust that and uh, you're doing that sailing, it's very much true in our careers and, and how we're um, doing our work in the communities. In the book, you write that the people who will be successful in extension will be flexible and accept or even welcome change. Why do you think that is? Um, well, I get, I, I've been um, interested that um, when I'm working with personnel, when folks have come and say, well, that's not my job description. Um, well, in extension, we write very pretty broad job descriptions of what one to do. We actually, I think, very much create our jobs. And we're in charge of creating our job and what that will be. Um, knowing stakeholder input. And so I think really to be successful in an extension career, um, that job description won't be the same. The job that we do two years from now isn't going to be the same, and it wouldn't have been written into our job description necessarily because the needs uh, changed. There's something that's changed in the, um, the social environment, uh, their environment, policies uh, that have changed um, that impact the work that we do. And so... Um, to be doing, in, in principle, we're doing the same thing in terms of education. How we do it and what we do it around, we really need to be flexible um, to be sure that we are um, meeting the needs, that we're meeting, uh, building new relationships with new and outreach to new uh, audiences and new folks that can learn from extension. So change is kind of a part and parcel of what we need to be. And uh, just being comfortable and, and doing what we've always done, doing it year after year uh, in the same way, I don't think is, uh, is really um, meaningful for us individually and uh, healthy uh, as an organization, that we need to be looking for the innovation, looking for the opportunities. Um, we talk about being on the cutting edge. Well, you can't be on the cutting edge if you're just doing the same old, same old. Um, and so uh, to be um, an organization that's leading uh, change, so to speak, and change in behaviors uh, that's putting research to practice. Well, that means we've learned something new and we're going to translate that in a way that people can apply it and make um, bring that knowledge to, to work for them. So that means um, ourselves learning from the research and then being able to share that and translate that um, as much as we can. So that requires the flexibility on our part. It, can, it occurs to me as you're talking, Michelle, that, um, you know, I think sometimes we have a negative attitude towards external change or change that, you know, is because of conditions or environment or the organization changing. Um, but most people have a relatively positive viewpoint of internal change, right? Being a better person. Um, and so you kind of talked about both those things. I kind of find that interesting that dealing with change, we talk about dealing with change as an external thing, um, but maybe we need to be as focused on pursuing change as an internal process for us. 
And uh, clearly, uh, change isn't always comfortable, uh, whether it's personal or organizational. Doesn't mean it has to be bad, though. And uh, change often, oh, no, not another change. Uh, oh, uh, you know, what, what, are, what are they doing administratively now? Another change, we're going to put something new in practice. So we have some negative connotations that we put around this, when indeed it might be a positive. It might be an opportunity. It might be a chance to do something we've never done or to go a direction we haven't been and have some exciting new learnings, uh, some um, exciting new uh, benefits from, from what we're doing. And so uh, I recognize that change is a process and we need to go through this um, acceptance and, and adoption and testing out and, and the risk taking um, that goes with change. And that's part of uh, what I think our culture we need to be reminded of uh, and see that in a positive way uh, and uh, that I think our attitude really does impact then how well the change does go uh, as well and um, so that's that it's at the essence of uh, talking about it um, both personally and, and organizationally. One of the things that really resonated with me and, and um, really I hadn't thought about this way before that, that you wrote was that when we're modeling positive response to change that um, our clientele can kind of pick that up, that we're, we're setting an example. Can you talk about that a little more? I found that really interesting. Yeah, um, I think uh, our whole approach impacts how others uh, see something. And um, so as a leader, I'm conscious of uh, the need to model uh, that. I don't always do it well, so I'm not trying to say I've got this down. It's more writing this as a reminder to myself uh, as well. Um, and that, um, that I think when we um, model this in a positive way, we're also modeling behavior that uh, we're trying to accomplish. Um, so when we talk about our cooperative extension work, I mean, one of the things we're trying to do is have behavior change. We measure behavior change. Uh, and one of the keys to that is people being encouraged um, to make that, uh, encouraged to do the risk taking, to try something new. Uh, and so if we can model that, it's, I think it's easier for individuals to feel comfortable about that. Again, it's in that trusting relationship that we have with others. And so if people see us struggling with that and uncomfortable with that, then they're going to be have a less tendency to want to do that as well. And I think it's fair to tell our real life stories with this. Hey, when I first tried this, it didn't go real well. Uh, it was a struggle to get over how this certain part, but I've learned this in the process. You know, what was the positive outcome? I don't mean to sugarcoat it in any way because change and transition, there's a transition process. There's a real life process we go through with change. But um, ultimately, um, when we can do this in a positive way and be um, truthful about that, I think it helps other people as well. And I think having a positive attitude about uh, that goes a long way in terms of adoption and practice, um, both for ourselves and for those that we're working with. Um, so I guess it's the glass half full, um, our, uh, instead of half empty uh, perspective as, as well, as a full, kind of a philosophy. But I do think uh, if we can look for the, the, the pros, uh, and sometimes we have to do change that isn't what we desire or, or our choice. We all have to implement those kinds of things. Um, getting our own head around that um, and then finding ways that we can talk about what are the, the um, positives in that uh, can help us as well to initiate that, taking the time to reflect on that. So um, we don't always choose <laughs> the changes that come our way. Uh, and how do we make the lemonade out of the lemons if, if that's how we see it? Um, it can be helpful.
That was Michelle Rogers from the University of Delaware. Next, we're going to hear from another co-author of We've Tried That Before, Danae Wolf. Danae is an educational technology specialist with Ohio State University Extension, and she wrote the section of the book, Reach People Where They Are. As the ed tech specialist for Ohio State University Extension, I knew I was really interested in writing about how to best market programs using a variety of different uh, tools, technology tools and, and print tools, um, and also about innovation and change. I think a lot of people have a lot more experience with innovation and change. There's been some really, really great sections that I've seen in the book on how to, uh, how to best approach innovation and change in extension. But for me, I really knew that I wanted to talk about technology use because it, it's been a struggle for, I think, people nationwide really embracing the use of technology, not just in convincing themselves that it's, it's a valid outlet for extension outputs, um, because it, it's sometimes difficult for peer review and things like that, but it's also difficult to allow ourselves the time to build skills in technology use so that we can really embrace it to the fullest extent. So I knew I wanted to write a section that was about embracing technology and how we can use technology to reach a huge diverse demographic of people that maybe traditionally extension has had difficulty reaching. So the title of the section is reach people where they are. Can you talk just a little bit about that title and what you mean by that? Yeah, so I think in Extension, we make a lot of assumptions about where people are finding out about Extension. I think, I used to think this was just an Ohio thing. I remember, I think, like the first month or so I started in my county educator role in 2012, people used to tell me that Extension was the best kept secret, right? We've all heard that before. And I used to think, well, this must just be an Ohio thing. And as I started getting out there and doing more national work, everybody was like, no, that's like a thing. Like, we are all experiencing that same thing. We're the best kept secret. So um, I think a lot of that comes down to us as an extension organization, maybe not really meeting people where they are. So I knew that I wanted to write a section that was really dedicated to how do we find out and discover where people are spending their time, particularly with regard to online and social spaces, and then not only market our more traditional extension offerings like face-to-face -face programs in those spaces, but also use those spaces to actually educate and inform people about, about what we do um, and use it as like an educational platform. We don't just have to use it for marketing. We can actually use it to educate people, even though it seems a little bit less formal than our more traditional extension outputs like face-to-face -face programs or curriculum or you know, fact sheets and things like that. So it's important for us to understand where people are spending their time. I think it's like 68% of people are using Facebook, for example, and that's like a, a national US statistic, like 68% of the American population use Facebook, that's 18 and, and over. And I hear a lot of excuses from people saying, I'm not gonna use Facebook because my clients don't use Facebook. And statistically, that probably isn't true. So knowing who your clients are, not just who your current clients are that you're reaching, but more importantly, all of the people that you might not be reaching because you don't have a, a very holistic uh, marketing strategy or educational strategy. So understanding where those people are spending their time and then meeting them there, being in that, that space. And one more thing I'll mention about that, and this goes back to some very controversial topics that we, we tend to always see crop up on social media, topics regarding things like conventional agriculture or genetically modified organisms. Tons and tons of really bad information out there on the web about these topics. 
extension, because we're not spending a, a tremendous amount of time in these spaces, we're not there to combat that bad information. So it's important for us to have a presence there to help balance out that bad information with actually that science research-based um, content so that people understand that's just one side of the story and it, it's not an accurate side of the story. So let us be in that space where people are already spending time and, and share the real story of conventional ag and genetically modified organisms. So that, that kind of brings it back to, it, it's so important for us to be where people are spending their time. One of the things that you mentioned in your piece, and I think it's really fascinating, is uh, reaching out personally to people to see if, you know, to market your program individually. And I think we tend to have such a mass media approach. I found that uh, really interesting because even in social media or on the web, we tend to, you know, take this shotgun approach. So can you talk a little bit more about um, why that might be important, how it might help to reach out and, and send personal invitations? Sure. So the first thing I'll say about this is that sending personal invitations takes time. It takes more time than sending those those mass emails or texts or social media blasts to people. It is going to take time. But the reality is, I think every extension professional has a pretty robust network of people that you know. That personal inform that personal invitation, whether it is a personal phone call, a, a personal message on social media, a personal email, of course, there's a, appropriate avenues depending on what it is that you're trying to, to invite people to. But if I got a personal invitation from somebody saying, hey, Danae, I think you're the right person to do this, that's going to mean a heck of a lot more to me than some email blast that says, hey, here's, here's 200 people I'm emailing. We think you're all the right people for this. So even if you send a sort of a mass blast to a, a huge group of people and then follow up and say, hey, I just wanted to make sure you got that information. I, I'm reaching out to you because I think that this would be really appropriate for your interest or your needs. One of the ways that you can do this is even with your clientele list is maybe keep an Excel file, something as simple as Excel or, or a Word document where you have some general information about some of your clients. If you know somebody is really interested in a certain topic, write that down, sort of tag that so that you know if you have a, a program or an engagement opportunity around that, you can send that to, to that individual person. It just means so much more than these the, the mass things that we've become so accustomed to doing. As you're talking about that and sort of the personalization of programs, it, it reminds me of some work that you've done uh, with the path to engagement. How do you see this path to engagement uh, connecting back to the idea of reaching people where they are? So the path of engagement is a, it, it's sort of like developing a roadmap to how we can develop customers or clients in extension. And, and this really comes down to marketing. I've heard a lot of extension folks say, well, I'm, I'm not a marketer, so does this really apply to us? And in reality, this applies to everybody. So the, the path of engagement really starts with creating some awareness around who we are and what we do. And then we want to entice people to try an experience with us. So this might be coming to a face-to-face -face program, attending a webinar, um, even just signing up for like our newsletter to hear more about you know what we do. And then we, we hopefully create repeat customers where people continue to come back to us for information. Hey, I've, I've been to the office before. They've really helped me. I've been to a program. I loved it. Now I'm going to continue to go back. From there, we want to create fans and friends and advocates and volunteers and maybe even donors who can help us advocate to our legislators for fundings for a, a more secure future, for example. 
Um, so that's really important. But I think what sets Extension apart more than any other organization out there who's competing for customers in this educational world that we exist in, more than any anybody else, we offer engagements for everybody, for the entire family. So whether it's 4-H and youth programming to keep your kids engaged, whether it's a Master Gardener volunteer program to, to keep our gardeners engaged, whether it's um, community development so that you know we're helping businesses plan their strategic plans or health and wellness for really everybody. We have something for everyone and that sets us apart. So as it comes back to reaching people where they are, the importance of this is really making sure that um, people have a path forward. So we're meeting them, whether it's on social media, whether it's a great website, whether it's a newsletter, we're, we're going to them. And then we're also giving them a path forward to continue being a, a client, but in a more value added, more robust way. You know, we don't just want people to do a simple Google search and accidentally stumble upon our website. Of course, we want them to do that, but don't stop there, right? We want them to become ultimately an engaged client who keeps coming back to us over and over and over. But to do that effectively, we have to know where people are and, and maybe even where they are in that path to engagement and then meeting them there and laying the stepping stones out in front of them to continue engaging with us. So we have to be really explicit about it. And we do have to be explicit with doing our research and knowing who our clients are and where they're spending time so that we can reach them there in the first place. Yeah. As you're talking, I'm really, you know, it really just becomes, it sounds like it becomes about being intentional uh, in seeing it as a, as a journey, as the relationship a person or a family has with extension as a journey, rather than sort of these moments in time that eventually we know sometimes build, you know, turn out to equal a deep relationship with extension um, by becoming a 4-H volunteer or something, but it's sort of by happenstance, right? It's sort of like, oh, they sure. kept coming back instead of actually nurturing that and being intentional about it. Right. And that's exactly right. I mean, as a county educator, I never thought, hey, I want people to come to this program and then I want people to take this step. It was just, I'm going to offer this program, people are going to show up and they're going to go home and then maybe they'll come to another program by happenstance. So it, it's really, it's placing that intentionality behind everything that we do. What do you think the, the place uh, for this book, uh, let me rephrase that. Uh, this is the good editing part, right? Um, what place do you think the book has uh, in extension now and, and what role do you hope it'll play in the future of extension? It's easy to look at this book and think this has its place in new employee orientation, right? Give it to every new educator. How many of us wish that we had a resource like this that we could go to and, and understand a little bit more about who we are as an organization, what we do, our rich history, all of the people who have come before us. And in thinking about this book, I thought, yeah, this is, this is going to be great for new employee orientation. But it's so much more than that. In seeing the, the final version of the text and in reading through it, one of the things that struck me most was there's this message that keeps cropping up consistently throughout the entire book, which is, it's okay to change. It's okay to adapt. It's okay to evolve and to innovate and do things differently than maybe we have in the past. And in a sense, it almost gives us that permission that we need to just take that leap forward and do something that we've never done before. And that sounds crazy, but sometimes that permission is most needed among those extension professionals who have been in the organization for decades. Those people who have done things the same way for a very long time and have, have been met with great success. I recently attended a leadership program. This was just a couple of weeks ago. And the, the speakers said, 
something, I hope I get this semi right, said something about how our past successes or relying on our past successes are going to be the greatest indicator of failure in the future. So in other words, doing what we've always done and meeting like having success there isn't necessarily going to give us success in the future. We are living in a time where change is happening incredibly rapidly. People are accessing and consuming information differently year by year. And in the last decade, this change has happened so, so rapidly. It's been difficult for us to keep up with that. So I think this book is coming at such a pivotal point in time when our organizations are dealing with restructuring, changes in leadership, maybe even changes in, in the very like fundamental work that we do and the vision of what it means to work for extension. And this book, I think, just kind of gives us that permission that we need to like, this is okay. It's okay to do things differently. And uh, it's a book that can be used whether you are day one on the job or whether you're a week from retirement and you're looking back at your entire career and realizing, yeah, I've had great success. And you know, I've, I've followed a lot of these same practices that are outlined here in the book. So it's a book literally for anyone. That was Danae Wolf, one of 30 co-authors of the book. We've tried that before, 500 years of extension wisdom. You can order a limited edition of the book in a gift box set right now at wttbgiftbox.eventbrite.com. That's wttbgiftbox.eventbrite.com. You can find that link and more in the show notes for today's podcast at bobbirch.com. Remember, you can listen to all the episodes of the podcast at soundcloud.com slash working differently, and you can reach out to us on Twitter. Our handle is at WDNEXT. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Have an awesome day.